DAB Plus online via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. UFL All Access on TalkSport 2. to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2 as the championship leaders Leicester City left it late to beat 10-man Queen's Park Rangers. Weeks with an effort! Oh, I said I didn't want a 10 thing, but it took something really special, and I mean really, really special, for Harry Winks to make it QPR 1, Leicester 2. Joy for Leicester, but that defeat for Queen's Park Rangers resulted in manager Gareth Ainsworth being relieved of his duties. Bristol City boss Nigel Pearson was another man who lost his job this weekend after defeat to Cardiff in the seven-side derby. Bristol City's injury-ravaged side just ran out of legs. Ruben Colwell wrapped it up in injury time with a cracker. It's Cardiff 2, Bristol City 0. And Sheffield Wednesday finally ended their 13-game winless run to hand Danny Roll his first managerial win. And now we see also the direction how we want to play. Uh, and today a clean sheet, two goals uh, and a great performance with a high intensity against a difficult opponent. Once again, loads of big topics to sink our teeth into from Leagues 1 and 2 as well. Uh, with the company of the former Ipswich and Swindon striker Sam Park and you're listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hello, welcome. I am Hugh Wizencroft, back once again. Uh, a couple of games since uh, we last spoke, but plenty, I guess, in the championship in particular to discuss. As we see teams, I, I think the pack's still sorting itself out, but we do see some teams beginning to rise, beginning to find some form, uh, others maybe drifting away a little bit, and that has led to a couple of big managerial changes. That'll be our first topic tonight on EFL All Access. Some alongside, as I mentioned, the former Ipswich and Swindon striker Sam Parkin. Sam, how are you? Very good, mate. Uh, as these weeks go on and on and managers lose their jobs, I think... We're in the right business, mate, aren't we? <laughs> it's getting a bit crazy now with the managers I think losing it, their jobs. It gets worse every year. Um, I think it's probably a, a bigger and longer conversation when we've got more time. But, yeah, it's it's probably getting to a stage now where some ex-players coming out of the game will have to think really hard. I know the top players do, and it's nicer for them to be in a television studio. But for the likes of my peers who played mm. in the, the bottom tiers... Um, They've got to make it, you know, so so they want to go into coaching and want to get these jobs. But at the moment, I could understand if you'd want to stick in the academy or, you know, maybe have the security, having, having a, uh, a job as an assistant or something like that, because there is just so much pressure and just no time at the moment for these managers. The pressure has got too much yeah. at a club. I know that you have feeling for in Queen's Park <laughs> Rangers sacking their head coach Gareth Ainsworth. A run of nine championship games without a win, leaving them six points from safety. He was only appointed in February after 11 very successful and happy years at Wickham Wanderers. Uh, he only won five of his 28 games in charge. The Rs have now lost six consecutive matches, including Saturday's defeat by Leicester. Now the chief executive, Lee Hughes, uh, said many supporters have told me in recent months that they've never wanted someone to succeed more than Gareth, which is an indication of the fondness everyone associated with QPR has for him, of course, as one of their former players. But unfortunately, results this season haven't gone the way we all wanted to. We feel a change is necessary. 
it's so interesting when you think about Queen's Park Rangers. We know under Mick Beal, of course, at the start of last year, they were flying high. Neil Critchley came in, certainly didn't work out for him. And then you felt Gareth Ainsworth's appointment was one that was made to appease the fans. Now, we get on to who might replace him very, very soon. I feel like it might go down that road once again. It's almost like those that are up high in that football club have created a barrier, used Gareth Ainsworth between the anger of the fans over how the club is being run and themselves. Um, and, and we've seen Les Ferdinand leave the club in the summer and he was one of those that was heavily criticised by the fans at times. But when it comes to the football, the results weren't there. But it does hark back to this decision being made to bring Ainsworth into the club as to whether he was really ever going to be the right man for the for the job. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with with some of those those points. I think to, to a degree there may be something in it bringing in an ex player when uh, they hadn't really at any stage over the last few years got their house in order. I think financially the the clubs had big issues. I think that's a big part of this. I think Gareth is of course. Gareth Ainsworth's management in the last few months, his um, opportunity that he has hasn't gone well. And I think that's a big ingredient as as to where they are sitting, where they are in the league, clearly. But I think there's bigger problems at QPR, the lack of a plan, uh, an obvious plan moving forward, the lack of... For the club, you mean? I think for the club, yeah, the lack of young players that are being produced, the... the the business in the transfer market over a few seasons, I think there's actually some decent experienced players to come back from injury who will give them a better opportunity of surviving this year with a new management and climbing the table. But yeah, I think this is a malaise that's been going on for a number of years. I went to the to the ground, obviously I go quite frequently, relatively recently, it's, it's falling to bits. And, you know, I, I say it, tongue-in-cheek but I look across at, at Brentford with with envy at what they've been able to become over the last decade or so and there's no reason as to why QPR shouldn't be doing something similar if they got their own house in order so I don't think it's going to be salvaged right now I think it's an important ap- appointment to try and get them to climb the table and, and stay in the championship but it's what probably happens in the summer with a complete rebuild and you know looking towards the future how they're going to remedy all these problems I think you know on the pitch um, when you're, we're going to talk about some changes. I think at some clubs later on in the show, and I think results have dictated a lot of what's happened in the last few days. Um, sorry, I think stuff out with results has dictated. I think here, when you're looking at the home form in particular, I don't think mm. Gareth Ainsworth and his assistant can have too many complaints. You know, one win I think since last October, that victory over Watford when they were scrambling to stay in the league last year, the amount of goals they've been conceding, the lack of attacking impetus, you know, throughout this campaign has been all so evident to me. I went to West Brom on Tuesday night last week to cover that game and they had one shot, a block shot at that in the second half against a team who I think were ninth in the division when QPR rocked up there in the West Midlands. You know, that's not good enough for a team who I believe when everyone is fit will have a chance of not only pulling away from the relegation zone, but doing a lot better than that. And I think the the kind of underdog spirit that that Gareth Ainsworth has been trying to um, repeatedly go to that's required to get them out of trouble too soon. I think October to be just about salvaging their position in the championship. I think the team are better than that. And I think the supporters deserve better than that as well so we'll see who's next it is a big football club um it is a a club that we've seen in the top flight many times great history there Mm. the squad is not as bad 
in terms of individual talent, at least in my perspective, than some of what we've seen from them so far. I don't feel like it's a relegation quality squad. Clearly, there's a big lack of confidence that's been at the club for some period of time now. Mm. So it needs a manager to come in and lift the mood within that changing room. And someone who has been fighting fires rather successfully, someone who left Huddersfield not too long ago in the shape of a former QPR boss in Neil Warnock, uh, strongly linked with taking over the job until the end of the season... What what do you think should be next for QPR in terms of that managerial's position? I think it's it's such a it feels like such a mess right now that someone to come in and try and get them to survive this year. And I know I've just you know maybe contradicted myself to to a degree because I think they're better than that this year. But my genuine thought process on Neil Warnock coming in now is maybe it's a little too early for him. And in terms of the time scale, last season I think. You know, when he started picking up a few results at Huddersfield, he was kind of rubbing his hands together and said, eight weeks, that's me. I think it was eight weeks, he said. Mm. That's all I'm up for these days. You know, I quite enjoy my my time at home and my goodness, he's earned it. I, I just don't know. I mean, if he comes in now and tries to do this rescue mission, it might run out of steam. I yeah. know that sounds ridiculous, but, you know, Neil Warnock has invariably been coming in February, March, hasn't he, and performing miracles in some, some recent jobs, so... We are see. seeing, just above us on a TV screen, that QPR are close to reporting the Hammy, Hammerby boss, Marty Cifuentes, as their new manager. And it's reported that the announcement could come tonight. Now, I would love to just scour my back pocket and find you some details about Marty Cifuentes at Hammerby, but I can't, all right? I can't. So that is an unknown quantity, if that story is true. And by the time you're listening to this, he may well have been appointed. Mm. I mean, look, just on the surface of it, I, look, it's an instinctive reaction to say that would be a risk because clearly mm. it's someone that we don't know from these shores and maybe a team that's struggling in terms of relegation. You, you need that experience and that's why we're talking about yeah. someone like Neil Warnock. But would you be happy with someone who brings fresh ideas from from another country and, and you know, could that salvage QPR season? I think in the summer, I'd be well, well up for that. You know, an exciting appointment, a different route. Yeah, I mean it's it's a hell of a gamble right now. He could turn out to it could turn out to be a masterstroke. So you don't want to go in too footed. But um, I, I just feel there is you know some players at that club that aren't contributing right now. Obviously, we've spoken about you know Chris Willock so often. Probably me and you, Hugh, and you know what a big fan of I've been of him in QPR colours. And I just think you know if we were talking about someone like Neil Warnock, he would clearly come in and identify those forward players. That's what he does and gets them playing. You can go, you go back to Adel Tarapt for similarities between the two, maybe. And I just think there is more to come, and that's a big part of a manager's job. And I don't know what's been going on in the training ground. And there's clearly a reason as to why he. He in particular has not been performing, but I think whoever is the new guy needs to tap into that, tap into some of those players that haven't been producing, find out why, and try and find a, a style, a formation, a setup that gets the best players in it. I mean, that has that's taken me by surprise. There mm. must be a link there. Um, exciting, absolutely. Timing, not so sure. But there's there's plenty of the season to go. To go back to my earlier point, we're 14 games in. 14 games in. It shouldn't be about survival at this point. Uh, just to say, Sifuentes uh, had Hammerby third Here in the go. table in Sweden last season. He got them into this year's Europa Conference League. So he has currently got a club 
uh, in European competition that he's managing. So it would be a, a, quite a step for him if he wants to come and take over a QPR in a relegation battle. We'll see exactly what the club does in terms of their next appointment, I'm sure, in the coming days. Uh, but Nigel Pearson is another manager who has been sacked this weekend. The Bristol City, now former boss, has gone after two and a half years in charge. The Robins 15th in the table. They've lost five of their past seven matches. The latest uh, Saturday's 2-0 defeat um, by Cardiff. That's his last game as manager appointed in February of 2021. His contract was due to expire at the end of the season. Uh, it was a difficult decision to make. We recognise and appreciate how much Nigel has done for the club uh, on and off the pitch, said the chairman, John Lansdowne. We all want Nigel, uh, wanted Nigel to achieve our ambition to be promoted, but with our recent results, we feel now is the time to make a change and give the club the best possible chance of success. And I was going to ask, you know, I'm surprised by this because it, it feels like and, and no club should have should have small ambitions, but what do Bristol City think they are as a football club? You know, what is their expectation? How do they feel their manager should carry them forward? They've lost and sold some very good players. So it was a bit of a transition season this year. But if you're talking about promotion this season and you look at the size and the history of some of the recent history of some of the clubs in the championship, I can't believe that Bristol City think that that's pragmatic. You know, and, and ultimately under under Nigel Pearson, they were a steady, solid club. Mm. I didn't feel like they were going to be close to relegation. Now, maybe that is something they were thinking about. It doesn't sound like it uh, based on, on the statement itself. They're thinking more about their chances of getting into the playoffs and getting promoted. You know, I, I just don't think it's realistic. What, what do you think, Sam? I think my standpoint on it is pretty straightforward. Bristol City, for, for me, have been a mixed bag continually over the last five, six, seven seasons, irrelevant of who's been in the dugout. And, you know, probably going back that kind of length of time, I probably would have predicted Bristol City being a Premier League team by now, or have, have at least getting up, whether they would have been able to... Um, solidifying the top flight is anyone's guess but I think with the stadium with the the fan base everything that's been in situ there for quite a long period now I thought they would have had a real go and Lee Johnson's not been able to get them there Dean Holden had that brief period now Nigel Pearson and the 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 finishes in the league have been pretty similar I think Nigel Pearson's improved year on year actually in their placings but for whatever reason the chemistry just hasn't been there to do it over a long period they've been increasingly inconsistent one of the hardest teams to get a read on I think at championship level so why hasn't it been able to work so I, I think big question marks above management level uh, uh, Ashton Gate as to why they haven't been able to make that that transition to make that step I think they got to one playoff final if memory serves me right early part of their time back in the in the championship other than that there's not been another playoff campaign why not I believe they they should be looking at other teams that have been able to make it and and the supporters should ask why it hasn't been them. All right, more to come from the Championship next on EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2.
You are listening to EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. Hugh Wizencroft and the former Ipswich and Swindon striker Sam Parkin with you. Let's get our teeth straight into some of the actual football from the weekend in the Championship. And we'll start with Sheffield Wednesday. Beating Rotherham by two goals to nil. Michael Smith scoring twice against his former club and ending Wednesday's 13-game winless run in the league in a South Yorkshire derby. Massive result for Danny Roll, their new manager. It was the first win of his career, so he was absolutely ecstatic. Let's hear what he had to say after taking all three points. It's amazing to be a part of this club. Uh, it's amazing to be in the stadium, to see also the defence that were... Uh, yeah, so great, uh, but for me the performance on the pitch, it was this step what we need. Uh, we trained hard the last uh, 10 weeks, uh, 10 days, and now you see also the direction how we want to play. Uh, and today a clean sheet, two goals uh, and a great performance with a high intensity against a difficult opponent because it's about win the second balls, come out of the pressure. But we did well, well. Everybody was ready on the pitch, but also for me a good signal to see how ready are the guys off the pitch. Uh, we have a big squad. We need all the players uh, for the next process and this is what I like. So a big result for Wednesday. Still bottom, but they've cut the gap uh, between them and Huddersfield in 21st to 8 points. Disappointing result for Matt Taylor and the Millers, who'd uh, drawn against Southampton and beaten Coventry in their past two games. What did you make of the performance from Wednesday, Sam? I thought it was okay. No no, no more than that, really. I wouldn't, wouldn't get too carried away. I thought Rotherham were, were poor on the... On the day, they've really got to try and arrest their their away form. There's such pressure, I think, when they play in front of their their home fans. I know they got a point relatively recently at, at St Mary's, but other than that, there's a pretty um, obvious deficiency, I think, in their in their kind of mentality. Really, away from home, it's a it's a real problem for them. That's kind of the look of Sheffield Wednesday from last season, I suppose. And yeah, ironically, Michael Smith getting. I presume there is maiden goals, are they? Certainly his first brace of the season against um, his former club. You know, a lot of the guys that got Darren Moore success last season, I think that was Sheffield Wednesday's first victory in 90 minutes since that second leg of the playoffs against Peterborough. So this has been a real malaise for them. Good pace, I think, in behind from Musaba. Uh, Windus, Windus looking back at his, his, his old self and... Obviously, good to see Smith amongst the goals as well. So it's a start. It's an appointment. I was, I don't know. I don't want to kind of put them in the same bracket as QPR, but <laughs> I just think you you didn't know what Sheffield Wednesday were going to do with this appointment. So I think to go for something out of the ordinary was quite exciting. Um, maybe that's just me. And obviously, they haven't got the results. The first two narrow away defeats, but um, yeah, good way to start in front of the Hillsborough supporters. Uh, elsewhere this weekend it was a, a Yorkshire derby between Leeds and Huddersfield and Leeds absolutely smashed them four goals in the first half ended 4-1 but they were absolutely flowing at their best the question is really whether Huddersfield made it easy for them uh, was it a little bit disappointing maybe even worrying when it came to Darren Moore's side I think it is yeah and I don't think we should be fooled maybe by the league table at the moment I mean obviously they're only one spot out the relegation zone at the moment but I don't see much more quality in in their ranks than the teams that are below them currently so yeah if I was a better man I think it's going to be a long season for them I, I see the same problems in their in their makeup that have been in the squad probably for the last 12 months and probably prior to that actually 
and obviously under Danny Schofield, Mark Fotheringham, and now Darren Moore, really struggling. The yeah. one manager that's been able to get a tune out of them was was Neil Warnock, and I thought it was it was a strange time to dispense of his services, and and nothing's changing my mind on that on that regard. But there's a there's a clear gulf between the teams we saw at the weekend and um, Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool Leeds' front line have been scintillating. Not yeah. probably with the consistency that maybe Daniel Farker would like. There's still been a few games where, for whatever reason, they, they can't reach that level. But at the weekend, James Pirro, Somerville, Ruta, far too much for, for yeah. Huddersfield. And I think that's going to be a I think that's going to be a, a line that we're churning out frequently mm. this season because they've mm. done that to a few sides already. Absolutely formidable from Leeds this weekend. A very good performance from Southampton as well. Their manager, Russell Martin, was raving about their 3-1 victory over Birmingham City. But it does mean that Wayne Rooney's poor start at the Blues uh, continued three straight defeats having taken over from John Eustace. There was a stonewall penalty not given in this game, which Wayne Rooney spoke about afterwards. Uh, Gavin Bazunu absolutely wiping out Ollie Burke. And it was a really poor decision, to be honest, but it came at a pivotal time. And I think that's what Wayne Rooney was really um, kind of most unhappy about. But Jay Stansfield, he brought him on in the second half. He got a goal back. They were in the game at 2-1 before Adam Armstrong sealed things late on. But um, the pressure is already on Wayne Rooney, very much so. Those fans are not overly happy about the decision that's been made to bring him in. And given the first three results, they're scratching their heads. Yeah, and rightly so, but and and you know that, you know, I go quite a long way back with John Eustace and yeah, I'm really upset for him with what's happened over the last fortnight and I think I found it, you know, wrong, you know, that that they've changed at this point because I thought he was doing a magnificent job and I thought that the squad uh, and the team that he was putting together was was dictated pretty much by you know, their limitations. And I think to see Wayne Rooney come out after the second game and say that some of the players aren't comfortable maybe with what I'm asking them to do and some of them have been open enough to suggest that themselves, yeah, that's worrying. That's really worrying. But I think if we look at this game in isolation, I think there was probably kind of a, a little bit of a change back to what they've been under John Eustace, a little bit more aggressive, probably a little bit more uh, defensively solid and... I think that's what's required from this Birmingham squad. Until they can change, until they can bring in a little bit more quality, if they want to play this passing game from from the back, which I presume is going to be the be, be the plan moving forward, then they're going to have to drip feed it in and they're going to have to do it with improve, improvements in some of the areas where they're short at the moment. I think the goalkeeper will probably have to change. I think probably at centre-half, they'll probably have to bring in some players that are more comfortable maybe a midfield player who can get on the ball and dictate things from from deep, a la Harry Winks. At the moment, I don't think that profile of player is necessarily in the Birmingham squad, hence why they were playing the way they were under John Eustace. And I think it was evolving because they, they signed better yeah. players in the summer. I think it was improving. And I think with time, they would probably have got there with a the previous manager. But it's, it's happened now. So the supporters have to try and back Wayne Rooney. And I think there were signs at the weekend there were signs that the players were, yeah, I think giving it everything, a little bit more aggression. And you're right to point out a couple of decisions. Howard Bellis's goal shouldn't have stood. And why that penalty isn't given on, on Burke, 
God only knows. And yeah. we've seen a few of them this season in the top league as well. The yeah, goalkeeping's yeah. coming out like that, taking everything. Uh, th- that has to be given. So I, I do have sympathy with Wayne Rooney for that, but still they were quite easily breached on a few occasions by Southampton, the improving Southampton who, you know, Russell Martin's been through his own sticky spell this season. He's come out the other side and they're looking, you know, almost that they, it could be a dead cert for, for being in that playoff shakeup, which we wouldn't have been saying a few weeks ago. Birmingham's next game is Ipswich at home and then after that they go to mm. Sunderland and I just worry about what the mood might be like at that club and that how much pressure might be on Wayne Rooney if those two difficult fixtures do not go mm. his way and that would be five straight defeats. So, listen, I hope for his sake things turn around very quickly and of course for all of the fans there. Very quickly, just want to mention a game that I was at at the weekend. Great atmosphere, 39,000 in the house uh, to watch Sunderland beat Norwich by three goals to one and on their day, if if, if Jack Clark is purring, Sunderland play some absolutely beautiful football and they came from a goal down in this game but you, you never would have thought it. Their heads never dropped at all. Weird goal to concede. They kind of gave up on a... On a Equa gave up on a long ball where there was a player offside. Norwich nipped in and kind of put themselves ahead. They were really in the game, though, up until that point. But after that, it was all Sunderland, really. Um, Fasnacht came close for, for, for Norwich, hit the post. But, you know, on another day, Sunderland could have scored another couple more as well. Jack Clark, absolutely scintillating. But we've got to talk really most seriously about David Wagner about where things are for Norwich City right now. Two wins in their last 10 games, three consecutive, four consecutive defeats, um, I think, at this point. Um, It's, you know, a very difficult time for everyone concerned. Mm. Crazy, isn't it, that we're talking about this? Because if I was sat here six weeks ago, Hugh, we'd have been saying what a phenomenal start to the season from Norwich. The big surprise in the championship is the way that Norwich have started. Everyone on board with the new signings, the the type of players they brought in, going for experience, battle-hardened championship players. Fast forward a couple of months and uh, they are at a really low ebb. It's, again, probably, I summed it up probably in the first 30 seconds of the, the show tonight. It's so quick football to move. The pressure on a manager can just build overnight, it seems. And yeah, at the moment, there's clearly deficiencies in this side, I think. You know, defensively they're getting opened up. I think the 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 lack of real ball winners in the middle of the park has been a constant worry for Norwich supporters and a constant criticism. He kind of went to remedy this at the weekend with with Forshaw playing in there in a three, but he only lasted forty five minutes. I think the biggest thing, I think you take the the two best forward players out of any side, and they can struggle. They can struggle. And, and I think losing Sargent, who looked really bright mm. early part of the season, having kind of found his home now at Norwich after struggling initially in the Premier League with Ashley Barnes, I thought that was a really good duo. They started the season incredibly positively. I think having lost those two, I think with and without the ball as well. I think Ashley Barnes really clever the way that he, he plays. Sargent is very, very fit gets around, can close people. I think taking those two out of the side has had such a negative effect on the rest of the the, the players at the moment. I think that's the biggest reason. But, yeah, obviously too easy to to play through, lack of pace at centre-half. I think he's going to have to change one or two things and it's probably, yeah, going to be a defining couple of weeks before the international break, a couple of defining matches. Because, again... 
I think that part of the world, Ipswich, Norwich, one town, one team uh, cities, one team towns, they're everyone has as they say on the club yeah. you know everyone has got um you know affection for for the local team and they expect and they expect at the moment norwich because they've had the promotion success from the championship they've been in the premier league you know these are really historic clubs we're talking about here and they expect to be doing better than they are right now and they i think let the managers and the players know very quickly in the, in that part of the world when they're not up to scratch and I think that's what's happening at the moment so I hope he can weather it I hope he can get through it because six weeks ago everyone was fully on board yeah yeah I think it was interesting speaking to him afterwards he just outlined individual errors that cannot happen and he says they keep happening and there mm. was there was a real anger about you know the precision of his side if you like the application of his side now if he's right, if they can cut those out, then they can turn things around very quickly. And, and look, we're looking at big changes being made at other football clubs. You know, very, very soon, I think Norwich will have to make a decision if things don't turn around. So fingers crossed for David Wagner and Norwich. They do very quickly, as I say. That's kind of it for the championship. So many talking points there, but we've got more to come in Leagues 1 and 2 very quickly. You're listening to EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. It's made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18+. plus. BeGambleAware.org. Myself, Hugh Wasencroft, alongside Sam Parkin as we dive into League One. And one of the most entertaining games uh, of the weekend was Reading 2, Portsmouth 3. Uh, the League One leaders, Portsmouth, extending their unbeaten run. And it was hard-earned, you do have to say that, after Lewis Wing and Charlie Savage had given Reading a shock lead. Uh, two goals up in the space of four minutes midway through the first half. And only for, in the second half, Portsmouth to show their quality well before halftime even came. There were two all, and then they got the winner in the second half. Um, but it was really a first half, which was interrupted by the sell-before-we-die group, throwing the tennis balls uh, onto the pitch. The, the game briefly delayed on two occasions, and it ended up with that equaliser to make it two all coming nine minutes into time added on at the end of the first half and you kind of wonder that we know why they're prote protesting if it helped Reading on this occasion. I don't think it probably ever helps, to be honest. I think, you know, if you've got real vociferous support getting behind the coach and the and the team, obviously it can probably benefit if, you know, people are still turning out and kind of feeling that it's their duty to galvanise what is a really young squad but I'm not sure that's the case right now I'm not saying it's right or wrong what the Reading supporters are doing obviously they feel that they're going through a really really terrible time at the club um, on the pitch I would say this is probably near enough as strong as I've seen them this season it's still littered with a few young players in there I think there's three 20 year olds still in that starting lineup, but from where they were maybe a month or so ago, they're starting to get a little bit more experience back. The spine of the team looks a little bit stronger. They scored a couple of outstanding goals, actually, which it felt like it was written in the stars that, that Pompey's unbeaten record was going to go at a team that's uh, facing so much disarray at the moment. So, brilliant recovery. We shouldn't, shouldn't be surprised. 17 points now they've taken from conceding first. Port Portsmouth, they are incredibly resilient but for, for Reading it's it's looking tricky but again 
I don't think we should completely write off their chances of staying in the division just because of the commotion that's going on off the pitch. But of course, I think there is like you know, in the in the coming days, a little bit of uncertainty about tax bills and so on and so forth. So they probably need a plan, and they probably need that takeover if it is going to happen to get green lighted really quickly. Uh, interesting that takeover that you mentioned. Uh, the former Newcastle owner Mike Ashley in talks with Reading over a takeover of the troubled League One club. Delegates from Astley's uh, Fraser's group flew into Berkshire by helicopter, I don't know where from, uh, on Sunday to meet representatives of Reading's Chinese owner, Dai Yong. Uh, he's looking to sell up, of course, after seeing Reading deducted 16 points in less than two years for numerous financial breaches. Now, listen, those Reading fans that are protesting may get what they want soon, which is a new lease of life but it comes with Mike Ashley as your owner. And we saw during his time at Newcastle, he didn't really have a a bond with those fans. Although personally, I think he left the club in a very good place. There are a lot of owners. You look at the likes of Everton, for example, who may have taken the club in the wrong direction. Whatever you want to say about Mike Ashley, the club, Newcastle United, were not struggling financially. They weren't in huge debt. And it left, in fact, the new owners with some cap space in FFP terms to go and improve the football club. But I would still be concerned if I was a Reading fan that he's so interested in taking over um, because it's not a Newcastle, is it? Let's be frank. Mm. So what 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 does he want with Reading? Not sure, to, <laughs> to be honest. Um, there's going to be scepticism, isn't there, from supporters because of his spell at, at Newcastle United. But what can't continue to happen is that the the players, the the management are facing snookers every season because of points deficits. I mean, anything surely is better than the governing bodies coming down and hindering the, the team's opportunities on the on the football pitch. So I'm sure they'd be skept they'd be skeptical, won't they? Yeah. That that's obvious, but I'm sure they'd welcome the new investment potentially. Uh, and obviously having someone who will at least run the football club where they're not facing penalties and, and things that's obviously hindering the, the team's opportunity on the pitch. We shall find out if that takeover does happen. Uh, whether those Reading fans would celebrate it, I'm sure they would. We'll, we'll see in the, the near future, hopefully, for those Reading fans. Uh, Port Vale 1, Cheltenham Town 2. Uh, Daryl Clark, a winning return against his former club, uh, lifting Cheltenham off the bottom of League 1. A brace from captain Sean Long, helped by a little bit of luck, you have to say, but there you go. Um, got exactly what he wanted. Um... Cheltenham's change in direction under Daryl Clark. How surprised are you by that? Not really at all. I thought it was a really good get actually for for Cheltenham, considering the the predicament they were in and what Daryl Clark has previously been able to do at his clubs. I thought it was a fantastic appointment for them. Um, immediately, I think he's looked made them look like they're more likely to create stuff. I noticed that he got three out and out forwards into the lineup at, at the weekend. I think just the really poor performance and result at, at Blackpool um, a couple of days ago is the only real blot on his copybook since he's gone in. He's definitely made them defensively better. And um, yeah, it's not been the worst run of games for them either. This will be made obviously a little bit sweeter given that Port Vale was his last club and they've really hit a a tough spell themselves. I was quite optimistic about Port Vale, a a slightly different approach to 
the transfer market, I felt, signing younger players from, from academies, mainly loanees, and scouring different markets than maybe they had done previously. So I thought this was a young and, and vibrant Port Vale side that we were going to be witnessing this season, but this is the first real tough spell that they're in at the yeah. moment, and an unlikely hero in Sean Long. I think he scored five career goals, if uh, I've done my <laughs> research correctly, and he's matched his his season's best in one game. <laughs> I think he said he, he doesn't invariably score two in, in training many days. So this was a, a little bit of a anomaly, but fair play to him. Longest serving player, probably. Um, I would imagine, I think he's been there since 2018. So he's been a really good servant and he was one of the players that was actually taken off in that last defeat and played a slightly different role here. So he'll be really pleased as will Daryl Clark with that result. Okay, we'll come to Derby County next on EFL All Access and talk about another managerial sacking uh, in League Two. But of course, this is EFL All Access in partnership with 888 Sport. Made to challenge, made to debate, made to play. It's 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app and on your smart speaker. EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. This is EFL All Access on TalkSport 2. I'm Hugh Wizencroft. Sam Park in the former Ipswich and Swindon Town striker is with me. Uh, just rounding off our conversation in League One very quickly. Stephen is three, Derby County one. Uh, Borough's first victory in four games, lifting them up to sixth in League One. Uh, second straight away de- defeat for the Rams. Um, and a lot of fans calling, well, some fans, let's say that, a few fans, not very happy at Derby with Paul Warren's time in charge. This is a team that we thought in a pretty open League One this season would have to be right up there. And they aren't, frankly. Um, for whatever reason, can you put your finger on it? Mm. <sighs> really difficult. I think, I mean, how can you not like Paul Warner? I've got loads of respect for him. I think he's a really good manager. I think at the moment, uh, the, the, the football's not great that's been served up. And I think because he's got a certain way of playing... I think you can get away with it, and this may sound very simplistic when the results are okay or better than that. I think when the results are going awry, it really gets emphasised that it's a little bit one-dimensional. I think that's what's happening at the moment. I was very much in the camp that with the summer to sign his own players um, to fit into his system, they would be motoring this year. And at the moment, there's not too many of those players that are producing and I think that that's a problem that he's had a transfer window and he's been in management long enough now and he's been so successful he will absolutely know that to only get a point at Cheltenham who hadn't scored um, by that stage a couple of weeks ago to lose at Shrewsbury and to lose at Stevenage of course people that support the club that follow the club are going to be calling for a change that is inevitable but I still believe it's too early, like I believe on the majority of these managerial changes that we've talking been talking about tonight. But Northampton at home, Barnsley at home, in no uncertain terms. I mean, it's, what, four points minimum from, from those two games. Otherwise, the, um, the pressure's going to intensify. But the powers that be at the club have come out, and I think it sounds really backed him today, or the noise coming out of the club is that he's being backed. But... Yeah, losing to, with respect, the aforementioned clubs, that's not going to be good enough in the eyes of all the Derby County supporters, and you can understand why. 
I think when you look at the table, um, the fact that they aren't a million miles away, of course they're not as close mm. as they would want to... When it, Well, listen, Portsmouth, a bit of an anomaly, but even when you look at Oxford United, 29 points, mm. Derby County on 21 points, eight-point gap at this time with a long way to go. I think they will give them a little bit more room mm. to start producing consistent results but as you mentioned that does have to happen that does have to happen yeah. pretty soon just on the game at the weekend I mean huge credit to to, to Stevenage and and Steve Evans uh, a magnificent result for them they are not surprising me to be honest I thought they'd probably consolidate they're doing better than that right now so enormous credit to them I thought the goalkeeper could have done better with at least a couple of the goals and I was astonished, really, with what you would think would be the resources in the summer that they didn't get more firepower. I think they probably tried. And and I just think for a team that we all anticipated to attack League One this year and to be one of the front runners, the options they've got in attack really surprised me. So I think at both ends of the pitch, there's, there's problems. I'm sure in between that, that Paul won't be able to get things right. And I hope he's afforded that that opportunity because... Yeah, he's too good a manager to be out of work and I don't want to see that happening. The big news in League Two saw Grimsby sack their manager Paul Hurst after their defeat at Doncaster Rovers, leaving them 21st in the table. They've only won one of their past 10 league matches. It was her second spell in charge of the club. Uh, he returned to them in 2020 and guided them back into the EFL two years later. Uh, but chairman Jason Stockwood said, we've looked at data and performances over six weeks, so it's not a snap decision. There has to come a point when you say, we need to change our own luck some how we can't just hope for the luck to change itself what do you make of that decision really surprised actually again I think Paul Hurst is a pretty safe pair of hands and obviously did wonderfully well to get them out of um, the the non-league great history with the club I I think his managerial style is is being hard to beat predominantly setting up a team really well coached I don't necessarily feel that there's probably um, loads of attacking enterprise about some of his teams or has been previously and I think this is just probably a product of of maybe that owners having grander ideas than maybe what they're being served up currently and also the concern of looking over their shoulder and I think it does in League 2 especially spread panic and mean that we see a lot of managers losing their jobs early in the season. I mean, I, I don't think I've got time to do the maths here, but I think we've have we got four or five teams, I think, in the bottom half of League Two that have already made changes. I think there's, yeah, Gillingham as well, isn't there? So mm. there's six, I think, currently without a manager with interims in charge, which, I mean, not in Gillingham's case because obviously they've got bigger ambitions, but those other teams will just be worried about that trap door. Yeah. And I think that forces... I think it's a combination of that and probably a combination of what we see at all levels of football now. We see new ambitious owners in at clubs thinking, do you know what? We can improve this product. Um, yes, results as well, but I think it's that that hope and, and want for maybe more attacking, exciting brand of football. Mm. Okay, Sam Parkin, been a pleasure to be with you Cheers on EFL All Access. Thank you all for listening. 